Let me read to you from a passage of scripture you've probably never, ever heard before. Psalm 23. <laughs> Psalm 23. I love Psalm 23. When, when we're teaching pastors, um, I say to them, if you want to be a good pastor, really, let's uncomplicate it. I'm an uncomplicated kind of guy. Read Psalm 23. Make that how you pastor and you'll, you'll build people's lives and you'll see God build his church. The Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. Aren't you thankful for that? The Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. I love this next line. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He refreshes my soul. He guides me along the right paths for his namesake. Listen to this next verse. Even though I walk through the darkest valley, in the New King James, I think it says, even though I walk through the valley of death, I will fear no evil for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life and I will dwell in the house of God forever. What a mighty psalm. There's a reason they read that above most things at, um, at funerals because it's an incredible psalm of God's faithfulness, of his proximity, of, of hope. And, and I want to talk with you today about, for a few minutes, just about valleys because everybody goes through valleys and my thing is locking. Usually I have someone sitting next to me who keeps me out of technical trouble. See how we go. I want to talk about passing through the valley and positioning for life beyond it. All of us go through valleys in life. I'm not, I'm not sure how you arrived here today. Actually, could I get someone to unlock that screensaver? Um, I'm not sure how you arrived here today, but you might be in one. If you haven't, you will go through one, right? We all go through valleys in life, hard times, difficult times, the the, the times when it's hard to see. I was driving up today and, and I thought about a time uh, back in 2007 when I was driving the other way down the hill. It was about 10 o'clock at night. It was the middle of winter and so I hadn't come off the Moonbies yet. I was about to, literally on the descent um, at the top. So it was cold because we, hadn't, we were still in Armidale climate, not Tamworth climate. And we're sitting there at the top. I was in a 1977 ute. I'd given up my well-paid um, manager's roll with a new car every 12 months, thank you, and I was driving a 1977 ute, um, this is in the new millennial, um, millennium, and, uh, that my brother had given to me that was full of rust and had no, it was so old and wrecked, it had no air conditioning, no heating, I was wrapped in blankets as I drove and, and I was on my way home in, I don't know, I'm old enough to be able to afford a phone plan, do they still have prepaid? And uh, I had a prepaid phone that was out of credit. And I got a text from my wife. It said, the bank are going to foreclose on our loans, you know, our business by Friday. It's now Monday or Tuesday. We'd started a business to build a church because I just couldn't work the 70 hours a week. I'm at the top of the Moonbees. I'm pulled over to the side of the road. I got a text in front of me telling me that the banks are ready to close on us. I can't text back because I got no credit. I got enough fuel to get home, but not enough fuel to get to the next job. And I got out of my car because the interior light didn't work. And in the middle of winter, with a little pen and a little pad, I stood in the headlight on the Moonby Range. And I said, God, this is my Job moment. I don't know how you're going to get me out of this, but I know you've got it. You've heard the story from there to here. Not only did we get out of it, like literally that week, for the only time I can remember, people sent me cash in the mail. Who sends cash in the mail, right? 
And so it's never happened before, never happened again. People sent cash in the mail and all those sorts of things. And we've seen so much go on from there. I mean, I mean, it's so ridiculous what we've seen from that valley. We've literally had someone hand us a house. That's our story. It's full of miracles. So is yours, probably. They just look different and, you know. And, but, but in that valley, something went on. I had to be able to look beyond the moment. It took everything within me. Even now, I get emotional when I think of it because we were so desperate. All of us go through valleys at certain times. But the point of Psalm 23, is, or what we see in Psalm 23 as we read it, is that it doesn't start with a valley. It starts with God leading, and it doesn't end with a valley. It comes down and says, God prepares a table, a banquet table. It says that mercy and goodness, or goodness and love, depending on the version, will follow um, him all the days of his life. And in the end, he will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. And in between the incredible start of what God does and how God leads and the incredible building of a life and the ultimate eternal future, and in between there, somewhere in between there, is the valley of the shadow of death and God's even in that as well. But the valley ends with a, or doesn't end, it it has a comma after it because it's not the end of the story. It's just a place we're meant to pass through. It's difficult, it's real, it's painful, it can be hard, it can be soul-destroying for a period of time, but in the end, the valley is meant to be a comma and we're on our way passing through it. So when you come to valleys, you know that Job moment? It, it could have done something on this, inside of me that changed me in a negative way or it gives us that moment that I just share with you that causes your faith to rise as well as mine in that time back then. And so valleys are coming our way, but how are we going to move through them and how are we going to position beyond them? Here's a passage I want to bring you to. Another of these valley psalms. Psalm 84, uh, verses four, uh, 5, 4 to 7. Blessed are those who dwell in your house. They are ever praising you. Blessed are those whose strength is in you, whose hearts are set on a pilgrimage. As they pass through the valley of Baca, they make it a place of springs. The autumn rains cover it with pools. They go from strength to strength till each appears before God in Zion. I I, I love this little psalm. First time I ever spoke on a radio channel, I preached this psalm. Station never asked me back. <laughs> back in the Sydney days. Blessed are those whose strength is in you, whose hearts are set on a pilgrimage as they pass through the Valley of Baca. Some of you will know the Valley of Baca. The Valley of Baca was, um, it, the, what it means there is the Valley of Weeping, the Valley of Wounded, the Valley of Tears. As they pass through the Valley of Weeping, as they pass through the Valley of Wounded, as they pass through the Valley of Tears. Um, everybody goes through valleys. There's battles. There'll be loneliness. There'll be moments of desperation. There'll be times when you're in the right and someone's wronged you and all those kinds of things. But, but what they did, how they passed through the Valley of Baca is important. The Valley of Baca, for you and for I, is coming at some point in our time, maybe even now. So the question isn't really, am I going to have valleys? We are. We are, aren't we? Uh, again, I quick story and when I was 22 years old I was made youth pastor of my church and um, I went away I'll go away and pray and fast and seek God and we'll have a revival you know and uh, I went away to this Christian camp and no one was around except me and one other guy and this is a kind of weird story if you don't have a church background so forgive me I'm not this weird anymore but and uh, kind of and and I went for this walk and and when I was walking because you know 
there was this crossroads and on the crossroads was I could go back where I'd been and then there was this other path I could see the end of. It had like a tent at the end of it. There was this third one that went up to the campsite, I think, but I don't remember. And there was this fourth one I couldn't see the end of. And I said, oh, God. I thought it was a great idea. Oh, God. Um, I'm going to walk the path that I don't know the end of until I get to the end. And it's my statement before you as a 22-year-old man that I'm going to see this through to the end. So I start to walk. It was awesome. Praying away, full of faith, young guy, new ministry, all that kind of thing. Walking along, it starts to get a bit scrubby, but that's all right. No, I'm going through the scrub, going through the trees. And then I came to a gully that went straight down into a creek and then straight up the other side. And so I stood there and I went, oh God, you know I'm serious. So I don't need to do that. You know my heart. (laughs) Right. I reckon that's what God did. And I went, no, no. So I know it's silly, crazy. So... Climb down, I did. Across the creek, I did. Up the other side, I did. Through the trees, out into the clearing, onto a track. And then, and this is where it gets really weird, there was, I thought, I've done it. And then right in front of me, the weirdest thing, there was this fence and on the other side of it was a sheep paddock. I thought, no, that's home, like the sheep paddock, you know, you know, biblically, the picture. And so I climbed through the fence, sat down in the paddock, and went, no, now I'm home. And hoped that no one saw me. Because they must have thought, <laughs> look at this guy's odd. And, uh, but the point is, none of us really sign up for the valley. And so when we get to the valley, it's like, oh, I'm here now. What am I going to do? And then we come in, well, oh, I'm actually really, really here now. What am I going to, to do with this? And so when we're in the valley, which is coming our way, either now or sometime in the future, what am I going to do? Uh, so here are the questions. Will I pass through it? obviously not physically because of course we'll pass through it time will cause us to pass through it physically will I pass through it in my spirit what will I make of it as I pass through it and what will, how will I emerge beyond it because that's what we see here we see those three things happen here how will we pass through it in my spirit and then I'll come to the others Blessed are those whose strength is in you. God never says we won't go through valleys. He just promises to be with us in them. He's our light in darkness. He's our hope in despair. He's our, uh, he's our calm, our peace in the storm, isn't he? He's, he's all of those things. Where our, our strength runs out, it's meant to run out so that, that we will cry out to him. Like Life is designed that way, isn't it? So there are times when you and I would run out of strength in the valleys that cause us to cry out to God like me with my little Job moment on top of the moonbeams where I come to an end of myself. There I come to a beginning of his miraculous. There I become to a beginning of his supernatural ability to invade and interrupt my life, my circumstances and my future with what he wants to do. And at most of the time it happens in the valleys. Uh, I've heard it said that we, we, we get to we, we get to marvel at God on the mountains and we get to know God in the valleys. If you've been around a while, you might know that uh, is true. Blessed are those whose strength is in you. And then it says, blessed are those whose hearts are set on a pilgrimage. Here's my thought around this idea and this first thought. Blessed are those whose heart are set on. I wonder what my heart or your heart would be set on in the middle of our valley. Because what our heart's set on in the middle of our valley is going to show up, isn't it? It's going to show up in our conversations, it's going to show up in our spirit, um, it's going to show up in our actions, it's going to show up in uh, our future. 
Uh, we can all think of someone, I, I love Australia, I'm patriotic Australian. If Australian scores a century in cricket and I'm in the lounge room, I stand up, I applaud, I make my son stand up and applaud. Um, a true story. And uh, uh, my kids joke that if someone is famous and a Christian, I will let them know every time I see them do something. But if someone is famous, a Christian and Australian, oh, like dad's off the chart, over the top. And it's a joke in our house. I love Australia. But one of the things that makes me marvel is in a country with so much affluence, a healthcare system like we have, an education system that is so strong, even if it is imperfect, um, that people would live negative, critical lives. I find that, I just find it insane. And it just goes to show that you can have more than everybody else. Australians now live in the largest homes on the planet. You can have more than anybody else across the nation, around the world, or history and be critical, negative, and complaining, depending on what our heart is set on. When we're in a valley, what goes on in us and through us and around us has more to do with what's going on in my heart than what's going on in the valley. They say about them, they pass through the valley of Baca. And so I think it's a powerful thought. Some people get fixated on their circumstances. Some people get focused on what's not right and what's wrong. Some people uh, leverage the valley for their own agenda. We know that. Some people get focused on their hurt, their pain, how they've been apparently burned, wronged and worse. And all those things are real and all those things are true and all those things are felt and all those things need working through when we find ourselves in our own valley. But more powerful than that is when someone determines, like they did in the Valley of Becca, what they're going to set their heart on. Because that changes everything. Um, I was selling years ago. I used to work for my pastor and I used to sell for him. He was a taskmaster of a boss. And uh, I was selling to a client one day. I was in the client's house. And he, uh, I noticed that every picture on the wall had a picture of him and his, his wife, his ex-wife, had a black texter marked, marking her out. And this guy was, I mean, he was toxic. And I understand there's pain, but he was, it'd been years. I just thought it was funny how, you know, his heart, what it was set on. He walked around that house and his focus was completely on the blacked out texter. And you could see that his life was completely consumed by the blacked out texter. Now, I understand there's pain. I absolutely get it. I've got family in that situation. I get that. But if my heart's set on it, it can't help me. When my heart's set on something good, something profound... Has Phil Camden preached here? Anyone? Phil Camden has got motor neuron disease. Phil Camden used to pastor what at one time was the fastest-growing church in Australia. And uh, he used to mentor guys like me when we were younger. He's got motor neuron disease. But if we got Phil Camden on a phone line right now and you couldn't see him physically, you would think that guy's healthy. You'd think he had a life of decades in front of him. Um, We'll see if we can get him here this year now that I know he hasn't been here. That guy is incredible. The faith and his spirit, sure, there are hard days. Sure, there are moments in quiet. Sure, when he goes to his bed at night, he has to wrestle with his thoughts. But, But his heart is set on a pilgrimage. He says, oh, well, God gave me a new mission field to reach people for Jesus. It's called the M&D community. He says, I'm going home. We're all dying someday, Darren. He said, I'm just probably going home sooner than you, but don't bet on it yet. And I'm not comforted by that thought, but <laughs> you can do what you will. But it just goes to show 
that it's not the valley of Baca that actually gets to determine the state of my spirit. It's what my heart is set on. And that's the advantage of the Christian. I understand that people without hope in the world and without Christ in their lives, without the spirit of power, I understand how someone would just get lost in their circumstances and give up completely. That makes total sense to me. But when the God who says faith, hope and love are more important and bigger than all other things, that that's the language he speaks with, the lens he sees through, the spirit Jesus lived with. When he lives on the inside of me, when he has given me the word, when he promises to walk through the valley with me, to bring me to a table of anointing and blessing, to have mercy and goodness follow me all the days of my life, and that I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Why would I be focused on my circumstance and when I can set my heart on the things that he would. We're meant to be able to live above our circumstance, and he calls us onto that place in Jesus' name. So what's our heart set on? Here's some thoughts. Psalm 45.1, I love this. This is like my favorite verse in the whole Bible. It says, um, and I've forgotten. It says, my heart is stirred with a noble theme. It's like one of my prayers in life. Oh, God, let my heart always be stirred with noble themes. Is it? No. But that's my prayer, that's my intent, that's my heart. God, I want it to be stirred. So what, what, what's, what's your heart stirred with? What are the themes stirring in your heart right now? Uh, just a question to take away. Number two, what, what are the themes that people would stir in your heart right now? Um, what, what are they? Um, Bronnie will tell you that my... We've, we've worked out, we do a thing called good news and bad news at home after dinner. When we started, I just wanted to do good news because that's how I'm wired. I'm like, let's, why don't we do the bad news? Like, let's just do the good news and thank God. And Brian said, no, no, children need to learn to be vulnerable. So I agree absolutely with that. But, but I can set my heart on those things um, that people are stirring that's good. What are people stirring in you? Um, what's, God working, what's God's word looking to stir in you? What's God's word looking to stir in you? And what is the Holy Spirit literally stirring in you? What is he stirring in you? They moved through the Valley of Becca because they set their hearts. They set it. God didn't interrupt it. God didn't supernaturally overtake it. They set their hearts in a God direction. Um, 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 4 and 5, it says, because um, here's my first thought on setting our heart is, sometimes in the Valley we need to be ruthless about getting rid of some things. Ruthless. Um, some people are ruthless, aren't they? Well, we want to be ruthless in the right place. The weapons we fight with uh, are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. They have divine power to demolish strongholds. We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. And we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. We take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. I don't know how you feel about that, but don't you love, I love that we have power over our thoughts in the valleys, that we can take captive every thought. Uh, Hebrews 12, 15, listen to this again, same idea. See to it, so see to it, puts the onus on us. The writer of Hebrews, writing to the, the Hebrew believers, says, see to it. So he would say to us this as well, see to it. He's asking us to see to what I'm about to say next. See to it that in our valley, that's me in brackets, that no bitter root grows up to cause trouble and defile many. See to it. See to it. He doesn't refer to what's going on to the Hebrews. He doesn't say, hey, given the circumstances, he says, no, no. Hey, listen, see to it that no bitter root grows up and defiles many. 
because that's never the answer, no matter what the valley. Business is not just a root, it produces bad fruit. And so we all get to seed something, we all get to spread something in our thinking and in our minds and in our hearts in the valley of Baca. And so let's make it sweet and let's make it, let's make it great. Get rid of all bitterness, Ephesians goes on to say. Rage and anger, brawling and slander along with every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other just as Christ forgave you. Uh, I love that verse. So we get rid of some things. We need to be ruthless around some thoughts and some things. And, and then it says, that my next thought for you is set up some things. Just set up some things. Um, Philippians chapter 4, it'll come up on the screen as well, I'd say. Thanks to the guys at the back who got these very late. I love this verse. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything... Um, by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your request to God. Sometimes it's easier for me to act than it is to pray. And the peace of God which transcends, never works by the way, and the peace of God for me, and the peace of God which transcends all understanding will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. And it's going to go on, I'll just pause for a minute. Uh, What an incredible promise that is. Sitting on the top of the Moonby Range with nothing changed except something written down in a prayer in my heart. I remember feeling the peace of God. That's an incredible thing. The peace of God which transcends all understanding. But here's the verse I want to bring you to. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. When you're walking through a valley, when you're walking through a valley, these are not the things that immediately, instantly come to mind. When we started to pastor our church and nothing was happening and things were tough and there was no money and I had worked 70 hours a week and then we had businesses and all of that while we're trying to get it off the ground and, and all that kind of thing. And I remember every day I would go down to my office in the bottom of our house and this verse would be on my wall. And, it, and it's not enough to be able to quote it every day for a year and a half. Every day that I went to my office for a year and a half, I would work through it and go, okay, what's true? Because I was in a valley. What's true? What's true is that that lady, Chris Simshawza, comes and does morning tea every Sunday without complaint and for the good of the people who gather. This is literally what I used to do. What is noble? I think about someone noble. I think about something that was right. I think about someone who was and something that was pure, uh, something that was lovely, whatever it was admirable. I remember excellent in those days, we, we had this little outreach down in town. We used to hire the bus and we didn't even have enough money to pay for it ourselves but we contributed, and this man used to take his pension and every fortnight he would deposit $10 in it and every fortnight I'd be thanking God for the praiseworthy. It's crazy, 10 bucks. But for me at the time, I had to stop and go, no, that's praiseworthy. It was amazing, you know. I was in the valley of Baca, but my spirit was lifted as I started to live that every single day until it changed. So just setting up the right things, letting go of some other things, um, you know, we're all moving through valleys at different times. And uh, does anyone remember smoke-filled bingo halls? <laughs> if you're older than me, you might. My mum was poor by Australian standards and, and uh, raised us. And so she could go to free bingo every week. And so when I was like eight, we'd get dragged along. I remember legs 11. But more than that, I remember a smoke-filled room. It was killing me moment by moment. <laughs> And it's funny, we'd leave that room, we'd go home and all us kids would smell of smoke. Why? Because of where we'd been. Lots of people get burned in their valleys and smell of smoke for the rest of their lives. And then there are other people 
who go through the same valley and you wouldn't have a clue that anything had happened. I just think that we have an opportunity to take hold of our hearts in all of the challenge and to ensure that we don't live beyond our valleys smelling of smoke. Because I've seen both and I can tell you this, that a sweet spirit will change more in us than circumstances can ever justify in our behaviour, won't they? So just, you know, that's the first thought. Second thought is this. It says, as they passed through the valley of Baca, they made, they made it a place of springs. I'm watching the clock. You don't have to worry. I will finish on time. <laughs> as they pass through the valley of Baca, they make it a place of springs. This is like, this thought is bigger than we've got time for and this thought is bigger than I can enthusiastically show you. As they pass through the valley of wounded, of tears of mourning, as they passed through that valley, they made it something completely different. They were in the valley. They could see the valley. They were experiencing the physical effects. If you've ever seen the Backup Valley, they were exper- and yet the Bible says they changed it. They changed it. They changed the atmosphere of the place. They were right there. I've written it like this, that right there is the sphere that belongs to the mature. Only the mature will get that done. In the valley. And so whenever we go through valleys, God's trying to mature something like this in us. He's trying to change something. Instead of people being shaped by travel valley, they made it something as they passed through. I love the potential here for those who will take God at his word and trust him with their lives. I love the potential that we get to change the valley. They make it. They make it. They make it. So what, what will you make it? What will I make it as we pass through the valleys in our lives? Um, our eldest daughter is 15. Last story. Our eldest daughter is 15 years old, and I know I'm a parent, so I know that makes me biased. I want to qualify this and tell you the story so you'll realise that in this instance, I'm not biased. Our 15-year-old daughter, when, I was, when she was 14, um, our house had a fire go through it. We had to move out. They had to rebuild it internally, and we were out of it. This was two years ago for quite a while. On the, on, the, on the day that we were allowed to go back in, our kids were desperate, but Bron and I were booked to go speak to a heap of pastors somewhere else. So Bron and I... Um, went on our road trip. We were gone for really quick. We just went in, did the thing and came back. And so we we're gone for 36 hours. Our 14-year-old girl had a team pack up our house, had a truck come at no cost to us, had another team unpack our house. When I got home at 11 o'clock that night, the beds were made, the fridge was full and the cupboards had groceries and everything was moved. Right? Awesome. You got my daughter. So my daughter, since she was 10 years old, has said one day, she's done... That's just one story. The, since she was 10 years old, I said, God's put in my heart to do a kids' conference. So this December, she pulls it off, 170 kids. She's 15. Team, she gets more t- volunteers, rally. I'm like, I say to her, so I'm going to employ you one day. She said, Dad, there's no way I'll work for you. <laughs> and, uh, we'll see, kid, we'll see. Um, who knows, her world might become too big for mine. Um, but here's a thought. She went to school, broke my heart. A couple of boys came up to her and said, ah, your church. Your church used too many lights and you let girls speak. Oh, I, was, I was wild. You know what my daughter did? She posted. Said something like, I just feel like we need grace for everybody and I want to tr- encourage anyone who's reading this, you know, to back the call of God on your life or something like that and got on with it. But I can tell you, for me, because it wasn't the first time that traditional churches had kind of had an ignorant crack at me. And so I noticed my heart was getting harder. Just like, you guys, 
you're clueless. Of course they're not clueless. I was just being carnal. And I had to make a decision. And this is the phrase I use. Whenever I hear something, I say, I'm for the church everywhere. That's it. If I hear something critical, someone said to me the other day about someone who'd fallen, I went, oh, well, that's unfortunate. I said, I'm for the church everywhere. That's my standard answer. And so, so sometimes we have to change the atmosphere, right? It doesn't change the valley, but it changes the atmosphere. If I get on the bandwagon and go, those religious conservatives on the you know, right wing doing 1950s church, well, God bless them. I could say that. What, who would that help? That just creates a divide. No, no, I'm for the church because we're all Jesus' church, aren't we? I'm the, for the church and I'm for the church everywhere. So now when anyone says it, and that changes the atmosphere, it disarms the enemies. Anyway, we're on the same team, right? That's why I keep saying to Bella, so Belzy, we're on the same team, sweetie. They just live in a different house. Don't worry about it. They're on the same. And so, you know, in your life of mine, just going, well, I can't change the valley always, but I can change the atmosphere as we pass through it. What will I make it as I go through? And so just with you as well, um, what will you make it as I go through? I'm out of time, so let me close. If I could give you one thing on the valley you're going through right now, is it says at the end, they went from strength to strength until they appeared before God in Zion. My hope, if you are in a valley, is at the end of that valley is your life positioned with strength. Not a valley that lingers on for a decade, but you would come out of it as things unfold and as healing happens and as you change the atmosphere and as we rule our heart in a place of strength. And they said they went from strength to strength until they appeared before God in Zion. I wonder what confession, what declaration you need to put on the end of your valley. And, you know, I'd pray about that with God and say, God, what's the declaration I'm going to make now when we finish walking through the valley? Where will we be? I know that this is my Job moment. But God, I know that you'll turn up in the end. I know that I'll see a better day. Better day. I know you will provide. I know that our church will grow. I know that people will come to faith. And I know that you will financially provide. Here we are, building buildings, starting churches in other places. Actually being given a $450,000 home. And that's just the beginning of the story. What's your confession? What's your declaration on the other side of the valley? And start it now. Start it now and let's walk into that future in Jesus' name. Amen. Why don't you stand with me? I'm going to pray and then I'm not sure what we all do. I'm learning like you are learning me. Let's pray. I recognize that your heart isn't necessarily tightly knit with mine yet. We're believing for that. But it is knit with Jesus and this prayer is to him. So let's believe together. Heavenly Father, thank you. Thank you for every person here. There's, doubtless there's people in valleys. There has to be. But God, you, you are Lord of the valley as much as you are Lord of the nations. You've got this. And so we lift our eyes to you, Jesus. You're the one who our help comes from. So we pray for a sense of your presence as people move through this week. Oh God, I pray for Holy Spirit stirrings in the best possible way that would fill our hearts with words that we can set our heart on, the futures that we can believe for uh, and declare. And God, I just pray that you would help us. Lord, open our eyes to see and may your spirit whisper things that we'd hear, what we would make the valleys that we are walking through in our lives. 
And so we commit everyone to you now in Jesus' name. Amen.